Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So many people still tar podcasts with that brush. They still think it's just people talking in their bedrooms really amateurishly, and that's doing podcasts a huge disservice. More from Helen Zaltzman later as we discuss how Spotify's move into podcast distribution could give iTunes a reason to rethink its approach to on-demand audio. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson. We start with this week's picks from the UK Tech News and joining me, my venerable co-host, Ian Morris. I salute you. The rules governing premium phone lines will undergo huge changes from the start of July. This is coming to us from the BBC. There are 175 million phone numbers in the UK that begin with 08, 09 or 118. These are the ones that are going to be affected. And the effect is to make the call cost much clearer. Because at the moment, as I continue to read from the BBC article, unless you're calling from a BT landline, it's not possible to work out how much these phone calls can cost. And the premium numbers are often used by customer service and information lines, as we've seen. So these numbers are going to be changed. Now, the consumer groups say that most callers um, are basically being confused by the amount of these costs because they vary so wildly. Would you say that's the case for yourself, Ian? Well, I I never ring them, so no. But yes, I mean, I wouldn't have the first idea how much a call to one of them would cost. So if I was to call one, I would be surprised when the bill came in. I see. Now, I I, I do wonder if uh, how much of a difference this is going to make. Let me explain to you how they're changing it. They want to make this simple and they want to make it transparent. So from the 1st of July, the cost of an 0809 or 118 number will be split into an access fee made by a telecoms provider and a second service fee made by the organization being called. So as you can tell, very simple so far. Um, The telecoms firms will have to... I'm being sarcastic, by the way. That came out a bit too (laughs) deadpan. Yeah, it did a bit, didn't it? All telecoms firms are going to have to provide the cost of their individual access charge on bills and customer contracts. So that means that when you are calling one of these non-geographic numbers, you'll be told things like calls will cost X pence per minute plus your phone company's access charge. Now, here's the thing. I don't know how much different that is from present. I mean, if you think about what it's like when you call into one of these voting systems, it says uh, calls cost... Uh, you know, your usual text rate plus whatever it is. I think it was about 16p, I noticed, on Eurovision. And they do say afterwards, and I think this is probably the key bit for this directive, that calls from non-BT phone lines may vary. So I think, and this is where it gets a bit hypothetical for me at this point, and correct me if you think I've got this wrong, Ian, that what this is doing is it's not changing the sort of the, the amount things are being charged or the fact that it's split into say a service fee or an upfront fee or and then such and such per minute perhaps it's actually just unifying it from not just bt mobile but other non-bt lines such as virgin or uh, on mobiles yes you've you've nailed it that from what my understanding of it is um 
but I've already solved this problem in my head while you were talking. So what happens is when you ring up, because you get this with free phone numbers, don't you? When you call them on a, on a, when your phone provider doesn't support free phone, it goes, you may be charged for this service. So you get a pre-run. So what they do is they just say, um, you know, when you call a number, you're, it, there are, there's must, there'll have to be a database of what they charge. And then it just says, this call will cost you, you know, X amount. And there you go. <laughs> problem solved mm. so know. a couple of a couple of other things that, that came out of this from july this is still that calls to 0800 and 0808 and 116 numbers now i've not seen a 116 before but certainly basically what you consider free phone are going to be free on mobiles too or should at least according to according to this there may be some loopholes that a network jumps through but the idea is that they're going to be free as well they are currently free on three i believe because three used free phone to 0800 as a uh, a marketing booster over recent months but this is now hopefully going to extend to other mobile networks so free phone again goes to mean free phone which if you think back here and back in the days of early contracts they were free back then too yes but i think that that's because the things were fundamentally structured different then mm. um i mean we, we sort of got it used to be done on an amount differently but actually Ian. sorry i'm terribly sorry nate um but of course um Actually, it, it probably depended on your contract because I don't think I've ever had free 0800 numbers until I joined three, mm. and that I mean, and that's a that's a 30 year long dis well not 30 years obviously that's a 20 year long disgrace, isn't it? Effectively, because how is it that we're still paying for 0800 numbers on mobiles anyway? That should have been ended years ago. Hmm. Well, I mean, there's no excuse for it. That's good. Mm -hmm. That's going to happen from July. Very excited. There's also going to be a cap to 0900 numbers because at the moment they can cost several quid a minute. That's uh, Ofcom's going to cap those. So that's good news. Let's talk about money. The UK is now primarily a cashless society. What does that mean? Well, it means that 52% of payments uh, were completed without physical currency. So that means debit cards, which could mean contactless, as well as things like uh, payments on, on the internet, I guess, and uh, and phone payments. I think this is interesting. I mean, this is based do, on do one- Do you know what it also includes? Go on. Checks. What's a check? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so cashless payments can also include checks. Because I, I also wrote this story after seeing it from Matt um, and and uh, and had a look into the source and yes they I think they factor in checks as part of the uh, cashless payment system which is funny I suppose. isn't it? Well it, I mean, it, it, it's funny in that it's still a method of uh, of currency that is, is accepted but at the same time it is accepted and it is technically non-cash payment so true. I suppose a bank's a bank banker's draft also counts I used to remember wondering how you got one of those to send off for uh all sorts of things. Pornography, well, you go, why not? You, you, go into, you go into a bank and you pay an extortionate amount of money to get one. A banker's draft, anyway. Yes. But um, there's a couple of things. that I, I mean, that's interesting. 52%. This is according to the Payments Council, uh, an, an organisation I did not know until Matt uh, <laughs> Existed, wrote about it. yeah. <laughs> exactly. But um, th this is according, according to them for now. However, there's a couple of other things I wanted to mention in this. Number one the contactless payment limit is going to be right, raised, increased, 
made bigger, whatever. It's going from £20, which is the current limit, to £30. So this is what you pay if, if somebody says, can I pay? Can I use your contact list? And they inexplicably all seem to uh, ask permission. I don't know how many people ever say no. I asked a girl in a restaurant the other day, has anyone ever said no? No, thank you. Please don't use contact list. And she said, I don't know. Today's my first day and you're my first customer. I was like, <laughs> what are the chances? But I'm going to find out if anybody ever does say no. And, and, um, and w- Some people are fundamentally opposed to the idea of contactless um, for security reasons and a lot of people do um, ask for it to be either disabled or to have cards that don't support it. It's, it's, I agree. It is definitely much safer to put your card into a machine and visibly type four simple digits that give access to, to anybody to your entire bank account than tapping it against the machine. I Wally, agree. Are you not a fan? I'm a massive fan of contactless payments, but the fact is, is that there is a limit to how much you can use via contactless yes. per day, which is arguably the reason people ask because they may not want to. You may not want to have your limit increased if you're going somewhere and want to use contactless. But I would. I, does anybody listening know how much the maximum limit is on a daily basis for contactless payments on a UK debit card? No, but I should don't. I Google it? Don't bother Googling it. Let's see if anybody <laughs> listening actually knows and can write in and tell us. But the other thing that made me think the other day, I was getting very moist outside under um, the outdoor shower that is the rainfall of British April, or May, I suppose. And I was standing at an ATM getting money out, and it's a really slow dated ATM. I resented needing cash out of this wall, uh, this hole in the wall. But it made me think, why do we not have contactless ATMs? Somebody on Twitter immediately said, well, that sounds like a great idea, giving everyone access to cash. But as long as it abides by the same daily limit what difference does it make because i can't think of one genuinely what difference does it make between tapping your phone against an atm and getting cash out or uh, a robber this is the hypothetical person using this taking your card and buying you know 80 quids worth of millionaire shortbread from costas around the capital like the effect to you is money leaving your bank account without your permission what does it matter if they take out cash um or caramel squares well i suspect because the difference would be that if um if a retailer allows someone to fraudulently use your card then they're probably responsible uh, or the bank may be responsible but if you take cash out you probably find that no one's responsible unless Mm. your card was stolen and you had reported it i guess so there might be a liability issue there in the same way that there's a difference between how credit cards are managed and how debit cards are managed. I think that's a fair argument. I could certainly believe that. But I don't know. So we need someone who actually works at a bank to explain to us. Well, let us know. Podcast at natelangston.com if you would A like the idea of a cashless ATM, let's say it's opt-in just for the sake of argument, Um, or if you can think of a very good reason or or certainly give evidence to support Ian's very compelling argument about why this shouldn't be allowed, uh, let us know too, podcast at natelangston.com. We move on to talking about esports, but don't switch off, couch potatoes, because this is about betting. That's right, free money at your fingertips. UK gamers, according to the next web, uh, Chris Brandrick writing this, UK gamers can gamble real cash on the outcome of some of their favourite online video games thanks to a dedicated new betting site that's going to launch this month. In fact, it may have just launched. It's called Unicorn Arena. Make of that what you will. U-N-I-K-R-N, both misspelt and grammatically flawed, but compellingly cute. <laughs> 
uh, which uh, is going to allow users to bet on the outcome of various esports matches. Now, this is stuff like Counter-Strike, League of Legends, uh, Dota 2. Um, I don't know if those particular ones are actually um, supported here, but basically this is the sort of the next generation of sports, if you like. There are huge huge opportunities for people to make money off um, esports because in for, for a viewer it's the same as any other sport competitive tournament you're watching it on tv or on a screen or something you can bet on sports matches why not be able to bet on games as well probably a bunch of reasons but i can't be bothered talking about those because i like the idea so much um ian thoughts my friend wow. do you think this is good do you think here comes a loaded question, so pull up your uh, answer shield. Do you think that the fact that games can have things like bugs and can have things like uh, different, you know, different versions that can immediately, let's hypothesize, change a player's uh, skill at a game um, and, and have an effect that makes it less about pure skill, as is the game in, as is the case in, say, um, snooker or football? Um, that betting on them is a bit more controversial than it would be with regular sports. Mm. It's certainly more easy to cheat on a computer game, isn't it? Mm. I would say. I mean, perhaps not evil in most cases, and I suppose at tournament level that would be quite unlikely. Um, but I, I don't have any real strong feelings for it. I mean, don't forget that gaming and, and watching gaming globally is, is just phenomenal now. It's so enormous, and it's actually difficult to appreciate how how big it's got unless you um, have a look around and see the sort of tournaments and the audiences that they attract. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, so there's a there's a natural sort of thing to to having betting on it. I mean, people will bet on anything, won't they? And, and bookies, as a rule, <laughs> will let them. There was a man, wasn't there, who, um, who walked into a bookie and put a bet on the Conservatives getting a majority, and it was a £30,000 bet that netted him something like £115,000 back or something. But obviously no one believed the Tories would get a clear majority in the first place. And um, secondly, that's quite a specific bet, isn't it? So, yeah, there you go. Mm, it is. But to go back to your original point about numbers, you're right. And there are, according to um, Chris's article on the next web here, 70 million global viewers of eSports yeah. viewership. Now, this is... Uh, you know, this is all screens, but that's um, that's a figure that's set to expand when ESPN starts to broadcast esports. Now, we there are in the world uh, dedicated esports gaming channels. I believe there might be one in Sweden. South Korea is enormous for esports. We used to have one in Sky actually until about 2009 called X League, but um, that ran for a couple of years, I think, but eventually got. Um, shut we down. don't I mean, need it actually a TV channel like... for this, do we? Can't we just watch it on Twitch or something? Yes, you're absolutely right. And that's part of the reason why this was probably... Uh, it was basically a bit premature. But this is something you're going to see a lot of. People love watching games. It's it's a fact. It's sadly, when you look at something like Gogglebox, people also like doing watching people mm. watch TV. Like, where does, where does this end? There's a great South Park in the most recent season that parodied... Um, uh, PewDiePie, the uh, incredibly popular <laughs> YouTube game streamer that basically fingered people watching people and then it, Cartman set up a channel to comment on people watching people play video games. It was, it's how how deep does this, how many turtles down does this Yes, go? I mean, I, I sort um, of, I do understand 
the the urge. I mean, I, I'm I'm sort of generally quite excited about the idea of like watching gaming tournaments. I mean, they they can be. I mean, okay, they're not sporting skill, but they can be their own kind of skill. And um, some of you know, some mm. games are incredibly interesting to watch anyway. Um, and so I Definitely. mean, I, 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 it doesn't surprise me. I have no ill feeling towards betting on such things, and I kind of hope there's more of it. A massive potential money pit. Um, but who is going to swan dive into that and uh, swim around in that financial pool of success? Let us know if you're pulling up your money trunks now, people. Podcast at NateLangson.com. What do you think? Not everyone in the world is as beautiful as you, dear listener, and not everyone knows how to download a podcast. That's why I'm encouraging you to bring someone you know into the podcasting world by telling them about this show and which app you use to listen to it. You'll be helping not only me in text message, but all podcasters who often need word of mouth more than money to help promote their work. Thanks for listening, and hopefully, thanks for the review and the help spreading the word. Or if you want to be on the show, Send your comments about this episode or any other tech topic. Podcast at natelangson.com. Well, that's going to do it for our news this week. We've got a bumper set of your feedback coming in. Uh, The mailbox has been bulging uh, like a sack of excitable contents this week. Uh, Podcast at natelangson.com. We're going to get to those in a few minutes. But first, we're going to talk about Spotify and podcasting. This month, Spotify did something very interesting if you're a podcaster or if you are interested in podcasting. It has started to support podcasting networks, which means you're going to start to be able to listen to some of the biggest podcasts in the world through Spotify. It's very exciting. Um, it's not something that the independent podcasters of the world, such as Ian and I, are privy to to begin with. We're talking about very large tie-ups uh, with companies like Radiotopia and the Twit Network and things like that. MTV is on there too. But it does raise some questions about what Spotify's intentions are and who better to ask than the host or co-host of Answer Me This and also The Illusionist, which is on the Radiotopia Network, Helen Zaltzman. So I asked Helen to begin with, what exactly does the Spotify integration of podcasting mean for the world of podcasting? And specifically to begin with, what does it mean for podcasters? Uh, Well, firstly, it means... 60 million potential new listeners because Spotify has a huge user base and the problem that podcasting has faced thus far is it just hasn't been that easy to get them so you don't get that many casual listeners because you have to go through so many steps to get a podcasting app or go to a show's website Uh, whereas a lot of people already have Spotify so it's it's very easy to access Um, and it's good for me um, because uh, my shows are going to be on it. There's a curated selection of shows, at least to begin with. Ah. Um, so I, I guess if um, people are thinking, oh, I don't know where to start with podcasts, having a limited selection, maybe we'll get them in there and then they start following their own taste to other shows. I see. My, con- my concerns are with how the advertising is going to work because if I was a Spotify subscriber who was paying not to have adverts... How would I feel about podcasts having host-read adverts in them? Because a lot of uh, advertising content is 
very much uh, incorporated into the material of the show. That's how I do it, so that it's not too off-putting for the listener to hear the advert. So I try to make them entertaining and interesting. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. But if I'd paid for no ads, don't know if I would want that. Mm, I suppose my, the- my inherent cynicism would probably land around the area of that there is a huge amount of corporate promotion that goes on inside music videos and indeed in a lot of pop mm. songs themselves. And so they're probably on a subliminal level already being advertised to quite regularly. But that is just, yes. of course, my cynical view of the mainstream pop music industry. Well, that's not cynical. That's just factual. <laughs> they're, they're not spontaneously showing off the features of that mobile phone during their video true. for nothing. No, true. Uh, but that is sort of subliminal it's quite brazen subliminal advertising but still subliminal whereas this would be surliminal mm. uh, people reading about squarespace and so on the other thing is though if you take the ads out of the podcast and put up a special version on spotify you're not going to make a lot of money from having your podcast on spotify it's really to get the listeners than it is to generate income but if you don't have the ads in then you will generate less income so there's that kind of quandary and if you've got people paying to use spotify they're not going to think, oh, I should pay to listen to the podcast, uh, which at the moment some people do. They they like to uh, reward the people that have given them free to access entertainment. Uh, but I think if you're already paying for the service, then you, you wouldn't have that urge. Your urge would have been uh, quenched. Um, so th- that's the other thing. If you've got a file as long as a podcast, because um, I don't know what the average length is, but probably over half an hour for... A podcast episode if you've got an ad every three files like you do with music or thereabouts then you might go for an hour and a half without listening to an ad and uh, again i wonder what that does with the apportionment of revenue i suppose it's the it's the access argument there isn't it i mean spotify isn't having to pay individual podcasters i mean i i don't know how uh, how much money is changing hands involved in this and and feel free to enlighten me if you have knowledge about that but I mean, a lot of podcasters, certainly independent podcasters, and myself included, um, money isn't necessarily the driving reason to create a show. And so may not be a massive, there may not be a huge need for them to push for adverts to appear um, more regularly than just between each podcast episode. Uh, well, it, it, lucky you that <laughs> you don't need the podcast to make money. Uh, for a lot of people, it's the only way they can justify the time. And I think in America as well, they're just a few years ahead uh, than we are in Britain mm. about both paying for podcasts and being paid to podcast. Um, and if you're if you're setting about it seriously, it can take a lot of time to make a show. If it's taking you three days to make a show out of a week that is too much time really to give for free. I know because I gave that time for free for several years and I was really poor and found it very hard to pay my rent. So that's why one needs to be paid to make 
uh, podcasts if you have uh, if you're trying to make a good show definitely I, um, I completely completely agree um I, I suppose that actually quite nicely leads me into what i wanted to talk about next um which is the the, the in the world of podcasts um we are not all born equal in, in this sense because mm. at the very very top um of what is still technically a podcast you have the likes of of bbc of um of the kind of major radio and tv broadcasters who treat podcasts in a way for better or for worse depending on your viewpoint as an alternative way to provide either catch-up content for their subscribers or people who pay the license fee or as exposure for the shows in the first place and then in below that and in no less in terms of importance but in terms of thinking purely as business there are the the podcasts that are very big very successful make money and i'm, I'm thinking obviously of, of your shows in in this context who i'm very rich well what i mean is is that you know <laughs> my show is is very much a labor of love it's it's a it's a passion it's it doesn't take me a huge amount of time to do and i largely just do it because it gives me an opportunity to call up helen zaltzman and say helen do you want to talk about podcasting for 10 minutes on a show we you can call any time, Nick. <laughs> um, but but there's a, what, I'm, what I mean is there's a very wide range uh, of podcasters. And these, the ones that have been announced so far, which, as I say, include the likes of BBC, of um, WNYC, of, um, of Twit, even, which is a pure podcasting network, but, but very much run as, an, as a more like a TV or radio network online. Um, they're big boys. They're big, big money, profitable, or at least for profit. Um, and they are the ones that are going to dominate the listenership. They're not ones I would necessarily class as podcasts in the traditional sense, which are people like either myself or, or like Answer Me This, for example, that are run out of a bedroom and, you know, very successful in their own in their own way. Um, well, they've also partnered with Libsyn, which is a podcast host that uh, I use for Answer Me This. Uh, and that that's very podcast focused. Hmm rather than uh, repackage radio uh, and they've also partnered with radiotopia which is the collective that my other show the illusionist is part of and radiotopia that's basically the island of misfit toys as podcasters <laughs> go that's a lot of people that would never get those shows on radio yes and have found this different channel to make things work this to me spotify looks like it could heat up the competition uh, with itunes because it is a very accessible place to be people already are there looking for audio content and I wonder how you feel that might affect the iTunes dominance, if you like, in the distribution space. I appreciate it's a very loaded question, but... Yes, because iTunes have been extremely good to me uh, over the years. They've been invaluable support because when you're making a podcast just in your own home and they, no one knows who you are, uh, them promoting it makes an immense amount of difference, uh, particularly back when um, they first did that for us, which was about a year into doing Answer Me This, so late 2007. And there were fewer podcasts around then and really everybody was getting them through iTunes. Mm. So to see them on iTunes, you would, uh, it was, it was a gigantic spike in listenership and it's not the same now. I think the thing is, it's surprising that iTunes went for podcasts in the first place, given that they make no money out of them mm. and it's a bit of a faff to, uh, to, for them to process them and everything, but they, they still do. So I wonder whether that's just why the store is uh, lagging behind a little bit because, it's not an obvious moneymaker, so the priority is going to be on other things. But I think this could galvanise iTunes to to buck up the service a bit. The benefit of Spotify is that it's not solely Apple. There are a lot of people who don't use iTunes uh, or Apple products. And uh, so just I don't think there's a great non-Apple alternative yet for finding 
podcast. There isn't one that has kind of streaked ahead to be a proper iTunes rival. Mm. There are lots that are, that are around, but not a big dominant one. So I think Spotify could easily be that. Uh, the other thing that Spotify is doing is building a dashboard for podcast producers. So you'll be able to see things like, because uh, Spotify uh, allows streaming very easily, uh, how long people are listening to your shows and whether they skip bits. And that could be very useful data to have. Mm. Yeah, that's very true, actually. It's particularly perhaps with the longer shows. I aim my show at a commuter, basically, and a, yes. and, and a commuter's length. And it does seem, to, in some of the conversations I've had with distribute other distributors that sort of sort of half hour 20 minute between 20 minutes and 40 minutes seems to be about the perfect length for a podcast in terms of getting people to completion and there's a big drop off after that sort of period maybe this would give uh, a much wider range of networks the sort of analytics to almost reformat their shows and I, I wonder whether that's a good thing or not yeah it'd be interesting to see what the what the platform actually does offer because something that never really took off thus far is having chapters in your podcast which for a lot of shows like answer me this is it's in sections uh, because it's different questions so if someone could just skip to the next question then that'd be kind of useful for them hmm. not so great for us but <laughs> it'd be good for them and um so i don't if if because spotify uh, looks more hospitable to you scrolling along it could offer that uh, i think that'd be quite handy there are lots of things they could do I, th I think still podcasting is so undeveloped that there would be room for somebody to come along with just a, a, a way to listen to them that we haven't even conceived of that seems really obvious once they've done it and still no one has done the netflix discovery system for podcasts i've been on about this for years now and still no one has built me it where it's like if you like this then you might like this. And it suggests shows you're not looking for because that's part of the problem with Discovery. It's hard to find shows that you weren't looking for except via word of mouth. And I, I think there's a, a big gap for that. But again, that's a difficult thing for somebody to make money out of. So there's not much incentive to build it. It will be interesting to see if that's something that Spotify does build. Um, I, I mean, personally, I'm very excited about this. The more opportunities there are for people to discover podcasting, the better and yes and they've got the right sort of names on board here for uh, to launch with you know people that are giving a really positive impression for podcasts something more polished um than perhaps they were when they first started out i think that's yeah and so many people still tar podcasts with that brush they exactly. still think it's just people talking in their bedrooms exactly really amateurishly and that's doing podcasts a huge disservice definitely definitely Okay, and um, who should people tune into uh, of, of your many uh, tentacle-like output? Um, I don't, <laughs> not quite sure where I'm going with that. Um, I'm, that I'm not sure. Uh, I think I think you're saying uh, uh, where can people see my tentacles? They can come along to my tank at three when uh, the aquarium master <laughs> gives me my snack. But if people wanted to find one of your shows on Spotify, which one should they look out for? Uh, the one that I definitely know is going to be on there is called The Allusionist. That's with an A. It's not about uh, illusionists. Uh, and that's part of the Radiotopia network. So I think all of the Radiotopia shows will be on there. And they're all good, so uh, treat yourself. Thank you to Helen Zaltzman for that chat. Very interesting stuff. I hope you'll agree. Do check out her show, The Allusionist. Uh, really is worth, well worth listening to. Um, one of the things that's quite nice about it is it, they are quite short. So they are good for, uh, you know, just that walk from the, the house to the shops and back. If your house is precisely six minutes from the shop, 
because the last episode was about 12 minutes. That counts both directions. I wanted to turn our attention to a couple of emails that we've had this week in the podcast at natelangson.com email swag bag. Now, Ian, you're going to take the first one here, which came in from Mr. Jimmy. So Jimmy says, I'm a freelance graphic designer and a long-term user and fan of Apple products. I own a 2007 iMac, a 2010 Mac Pro and an iPhone 4. As a fan of new tech, I'm always tempted by new Apple products upon their release and when friends get out their new phones and thinner retina laptops, a part of me always considers looking for available deals in the hope of upgrading. On the other hand, I don't agree with the way that so many of us have become accustomed to purchasing tech products, religiously buying the latest phone when there isn't a lot wrong with what you've got. I use my phone, laptop and desktop more than people would use theirs, so I'm very aware of computers slowing down and software updates becoming few and far between, etc. But rather than buy a new laptop, for example, I've upgraded the hard drive to 512 gigabytes as an SSD to keep its speed up. My girlfriend has an iPhone 3GS, which she has been using every day for five years, and she has no plans of upgrading soon. As a fellow graphic designer and someone who uses Apple products every day, she obviously would love the speed and features of newer products. But as someone who cares about the issues of sustainability and the design of products um, forefronting their lifespan of the product, I can't help but think that Apple just wants to sell more of the latest products with disregard for its loyal customers and the environment. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? And actually, the environmental one was one that we just didn't really consider at all. But that was because it was sort of outside the scope of the the argument, wasn't it? But um, it's a good point. It, it's a very good point and definitely one that we should we should address. I suppose it's one Apple tries to address in its marketing. It's not something that anyone ever really reports on when Apple has its press announcements. But one of the things that it always does in its keynote is throw out a big, long list of all the ways that it is green. its products are green, environmentally friendly, recyclable, EP gold certified, no, uh, you know, they'll list a whole bunch of stuff that it doesn't have in it, all these sorts of things. And it's almost like it's there as kind of a, a, a preemptive rebuttal to, to these sorts of comments from Jimmy. But I do think they're, they're, good, they're good comments. I mean, I think that a three, an iPhone 3GS is, um, is pushing it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I, I'm surprised. I would be surprised if uh, Jimmy's other half didn't use an iPhone six, let's say, and immediately wants to upgrade afterwards because the difference between those two models is is definitely worth an upgrade. I think you can go from three GS to six and and still feel like you're hanging on to your tech for a very long time. I mean, five <laughs> years is long, even if you were using a Nokia back in the day. Um, and they are some of the longest lasting devices. I mean, it'll be them and cockroaches during an apocalypse, let's put it that way. But wasn't it the 3GS that they were discontinuing support for that you were getting so irate about? Yes, but only because it was it was released as far as uh, 20, sold as far as 20, as recently as 2012. And my problem wasn't, the argument wasn't that people shouldn't want, maybe want to upgrade, but just the fact that Apple shouldn't be killing support for something it manufactured as recently as three years ago. No, fair enough. Support is very different to, mm. um, you know, to, to speed. And obviously, you know, you need support. Um, but actually, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. But so, so people use different, like, get different uses out of things, don't you? I mean, yeah. you know, it's I, I couldn't survive on a 3GS, but I, you know, I'm sure plenty of people in my family could. 
Mm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Let's let's move on uh, to the second email we've got. This comes from Andy, who's not Andy, my brother, who's been on the show in the past. This is a different Andy. Um, hi, Nate and Ian. Got to mention this time, mate. Uh, following your piece in last week's text message podcast, I thought I'd write in. I've been a resident of London for over 12 years and use various forms of taxi throughout, both before and after the rise of app-based services. Whilst I agree that black cabs are being disrupted by the likes of Uber, and you did forget to mention that black cabs have their own apps, such as Halo and Cabby, I completely did we did not mention those and in fact halo was started by three cabbies um back in the day um but so you're right there andy he continues um i don't think there is much of a challenge as you think the problem comes down to the knowledge which in my opinion is considerably better than using gps as it's more than just being able to read a map it's knowing where you are or someone else's and what's nearby I've often been able to jump in the back of a black cab, tell them where I'm going, and then put my headphones in comfortable in the knowledge that they know they know where they're going to go. With Uber, which I've tried several times, I had to tell them each step of the way, and at one occasion I had a driver ring me three times before arriving to find which pub to pick me up in from Camden. I agree, and weirdly, I've done exactly the same as that, and in Camden from a pub. Um... So maybe that maybe that's the problem. It's the black hole of Camden. Uh, overall, Andy continues, I think there's something to be said for the combination of a decent price, a good app to call from, comfort, and the knowledge of your driver. And with that in mind, I actually have been using Addison Lee for a while now. As for me, they seem to manage a good combination of all those criteria. Uh, keep up the great work with the podcast, Andy. I do agree. Addison Lee, great for corporate customers. But the problem is they do not compete on price. No, they are very expensive, Addison Lee. Addison Lee are brilliant as a service, but my God, do you pay for that service uh, compared... As as a single customer needing to go one place, they are not uh, a service that I would use. There is another app that I quite like that uh, my brother and I used to use for a bit called Wheelie, which is more of a competitor to Addison Lee and not competitively priced, um, but does seem to be better priced than Addison Lee for single uses. And they have very, very good cars. That's called Wheelie. I think they're still around and operating in London, and they're they're very very good. What we need really is a sort of a service where cab drivers can bid on your journey. Takes too long though, doesn't it? Well, not necessarily. I, I don't mean, want to sit around while by cab 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 drivers play black cab eBay in the. Well, it could it could be like it could be a really short window. Like this guy wants to go from here to here. Mm. Um, you know what's your what's your bid, and they all bid down to the one that thinks it's not worth doing it. That'd be amazing. Yeah, there was a great episode of Dragon's Den a few years ago where there was a guy who um, had created sort of like the this, the the uh, Uber app, but without the app. It was a phone call. You sort of called up a, a network of cabbies for directions uh, rather than a ride. And um, if you can look it up, it's well worth it. It was it was hideously badly presented, and it and they got the guy got absolutely flamed uh which means it's very entertaining uh if you go to youtube and search i don't know taxi service dragon's den i'm sure you'll find that so thank you andy and jimmy for your emails this week uh, we did have more than just those two emails but in the interest of time i've bumped um the others to next week but obviously keep them coming in podcast at natelangson.com on any topic from today or just anything you'd like to hear us discuss ian that has been a pleasurable experience no, no, always my pleasure. We'll see you all in a week. Thanks for listening to Text Message, a weekly free podcast produced, edited, and funded by me, Nate Langson. Don't forget, you can help so much by bringing someone you know into the podcasting world by telling them about this show and which app you use to listen to it. From the Corner Studio in my house in Ealing, London, thanks again for listening and for any help in spreading the word.
I like to heal in non-traditional ways. You never know 